This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. And there it is. That's as good as it gets on this stage. Nissan Townstar EV strikes again. It's an unstoppable van. Unstoppable. Look, just fantastic. You can actually see the ProPilot technology in action. Effortless parallel parking. It moves with all the confidence that comes with a five-year warranty. And with a bench full of all-star van experts, there's real strength in depth here. That's all-star quality. Search Nissan Townstar EV and visit your local all-star van centre to see for yourself. Terms and conditions apply. Five years or 100,000 miles, whichever comes first. ProPilot is an advanced driver assist technology. Driver's responsibility to stay alert, drive safely and control vehicle at all times. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the results, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app and you'll get rewards points delivered too. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus rewards registration required. Points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Hey up, it's the No Near Never podcast, with your host, Jamie Smith. Welcome to tonight's No Near Never podcast, I'm Jamie Smith, your host this evening, and my guests are James Bird, Ian Creamer, and Robbie Kopak. First of all, a little bit about a new feature here at No Near Never for the new season called NNN Call. What we are after from you is, when you're coming back from the, the games, what we want you to do is give us a ring on our number, which is 01282 and just leave some comments on the game, basically. Um, yeah, that number is 01282-570-150. Just leave your name and comments on the game, and hopefully it should work out really well. It'll be like a radio phone-in, but without Robbie Savage on the other end, so it should go extremely well. And here are this week's NNN call messages. Yeah, it's Tony. Uh, I just want to tell the Burnley fans to stop being so negative. You played you've been Champions tonight, you lost 3-1, but I re- really think Burnley played really well. So he's a credit for that. And who put the ball in Chelsea's net? Super Scott Artfield. Thank you. Good night. Hey, it's Jordan Ingle. Uh, I'd just like to start by saying that I'm proud of lads tonight. I think they played very well at some point. Uh, there were some parts where we did look a bit bad, but you know, it's a big jump up from the Championship to the Premier League. And as you could tell by tonight, uh, with Chelsea, world class side, really. Uh, the way they ping the ball around to each other, quick passing in between each other, in the other defence, you could just tell the difference between the sides. There's, I think, our defence just couldn't read it quick enough, works work just fast enough on the turns. Um, you know, a player like Hazard, Sherlock, Fabregas, they just know what they're doing. Before the ball even gets to them, they just know where they're passing it, know where they're running, and they're so quick at doing it. Um, I think there were some positive moments. I think um, we played all right at times. We looked like we could have scored a few. Hopefully against you know lesser teams, we could do a bit better, to be honest. Um, yeah, but can't really be disappointed. First game of the season against... Like I say, a world-class team. I wasn't expecting much before the game. I thought maybe we could have nicked it, but 
I was always expecting Chelsea to be a strong side. Hello, it's Tom Pickles. Quick one, brief one. The game was all right. We played all right. Crowd, absolutely abysmal. I don't want to be too negative, but it was just dead quiet. Hello, it's Alex Jolly here. I just wanted to say, don't get your heads down. We played possibly the best football we could have played against potentially the champions of the league. So, yeah, uh, keep it going. We're going to survive if we play like that. And, yeah, pretty much. Swansea will be the real test. And I'm hoping for three points. Up the Clarets. Yeah, this is Don Kirkham calling from northern Manitoba in Canada, about as far away from Burnley as you could get. Wishing Burnley all the best today. Um, I've been a lifelong Burnley fan. I came from Burnley, emigrated 31 years ago, 33 years ago. Up the Clarets. This is Andy. That was absolutely dire. I'm not having this. He took things off. Dash out. So, hi, Diego Costa. Tell me, how does it feel being in Duff's pocket? Lots of love. Natalie Thanks a lot to everyone who called in. We hope you ring again. Our question of the week for this week as well. Um, we'll do that to start with. This week's question of the week was, can we play 4-4-1-1 in the Premier League or should we consider a change in formation? Our own Kevin Robinson was one of the people to respond to this on Twitter and he said it can and will work, but we need to be adaptive with our shape. Um, there was a comment as well from Elliot Clegg who said it looked a bit like 3-5-2 at times last night. I'm not sure I spotted that, but it'll be interesting to see what the rest of the panel think. Stephen Rawson on Facebook said you can see why most teams play five in midfield, three in the midfield can't get the ball back. I think that's a good point. Burnley certainly did struggle. And James Denson on Twitter suggested a 4-1-2-2-1 formation with Taylor as the holding midfielder and Danny Ings on the wing. Uh, Scott Arfield and Danny Ings out wide in that formation. Um, James, if I can start with you then, we'll do question of the week before talking about the game generally. What did you think of the our four four one one compared to Chelsea's sort of four two three one? We seem to be a little bit overrun in midfield. Um, yeah, I think four four one one really does depend on who you're playing. Um, obviously, you're not going to play the likes of Chelsea every week. Who, to be honest, I know. Um, Dyche went for a pressing game with us last season, but Chelsea's pressing is on a a different level. If you saw how little time anyone had on the ball um, when a Chelsea player was obviously nearby, that just shows the type of opponent you're against. Maybe four four one one isn't going to work as well against Chelsea, and maybe you want five in the midfield so you can try and pack it out and take away their space. What do you think, Ian? We were a bit outnumbered in midfield, weren't we? But how much of it was just Chelsea's extra quality in midfield. Yeah, I, I think that was a big part of it. Um, I think we did look outnumbered. I think Marnie and Jones just had the ball passed around them an awful lot. But, you know, I put that down to quality. I put that down to the kind of players they were playing against. I think halfway through the second half, I said to uh, my dad last night, who was sat next to me, I said, you know, Fabregas must have had one of the easiest nights of his life. He just seemed to have so much space. But, you know, on, on the flip side, the uh, Burnley midfield, in fact, all of the Burnley players were closed down absolutely in packs. These guys just suddenly seemed to appear around them, two and three players hunting down in packs all the time and uh, just gave them no time at all. I'm not sure a formation change would have really fixed that. I think it was just a really high-quality, high-tempo team we're playing against. What do you think, Robbie? Do you think maybe a holding midfielder would be useful for these sorts of games? 
Um, yeah, I think we missed one massively last night. Um, I thought uh, Jones and Marnie were too static a little bit and Marnie couldn't get forward. I think uh, Chalabar's been mentioned a couple of times to bring in. I thought he would have been perfect for last night. Obviously, he couldn't play against his parent club, but we did need one massively, a sitting midfielder. Chalabar, actually, I spoke to Joe from Chelsea Blog Plains on Maria, and he said he he thought he... He believes Chalabar will be a good fit at Burnley as well, so hopefully we'll be able to get that one done. We'll play that interview a little bit later in tonight's show. Um, so, yeah, 3-1 defeat for Burnley to start off the season. A little bit overrun, if we're honest, at times in that first half. Scott Arfield gave Burnley the lead, but then goals from Diego Costa on his debut, Andre Schurler and also Branislav Ivanovic made it 3-1 before half-time, and after that, Jose Mourinho's team pretty much cruised to victory. James, what did you make of the the game of the whole? It was a bright start, really, wasn't it? But after that, Chelsea just had a little bit too much for us, didn't they? I think through the whole game, Chelsea, you know, showed their class. And um, last week, obviously, I said I think they could do a domestic treble. I think that actually maybe looks beneath them now. They they almost look better than that because um, I don't think they really got out of second gear. Um, you know, if that's second gear, it's going to be scary to see them at sort of full speed in the middle of the season. Um, obviously, the the Arfield goal was fantastic, and you know, uh, kind of triggers memories of Robbie Blake against United last time round. And uh, I think he'd be more than pleased to have uh, to scored that one. But then Chelsea were just so dominant for the next half an hour after that. You know, they really did show why they're going to be the favourites for the title. And second half, maybe they stepped off the gas a bit. But I also thought we came out and played with a little bit more urgency and sort of chased a lot more. Um, and I think the nerves settled down a bit because there was quite a few guys out there first half who, who you could tell were playing the first Premier League game and, and were feeling the nerves a little bit. I agree. I think a, a few of the lads were just a little bit overawed as well. It's understandable when you come up against a team as good as Chelsea. And I think we've seen in the first weekend in the Premier League a lot of the other big teams didn't really start close to their best, whereas Chelsea seems to be on it right at the start a bit. Exciting to see them for the rest of the season, not carving us open, carving somebody else open for a change, I suppose. Um, Ian, what were your thoughts on the game? Burnley, really positive start, but defensively, maybe a little bit suspect. Yeah, I agree. And I, you know, I've seen a few comments today about, about Shackle, which I'd absolutely agree with. I think, um, you know, Duff looked at the two of the, 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 the stronger of the two centre halves. Um, and Shackle just looked like as nervous as hell. I mean, everything he touched seemed to go wrong for a little while. Um, but I think it was just, you know, you look at the, the Chelsea team from, from 1 to 11, they're big, they're strong, not big in terms of Hazard and so on necessarily, but there are a lot of huge athletes all around the pitch. And I think just their sheer physicality uh, knocked us out of our stride once they got into theirs. Um, second half, I agree. I think uh, Dash must have given them the... Uh, bit of a hairdryer treatment at half-time because they came out, they looked like they were putting a foot in and they were getting a bit closer to, to some of the midfielders in particular. Um, you know, just breaking up play a little bit. But again, once they got back into the stride again, Chelsea, they just kind of passed around us uh, for fun, really, if I'm honest with you. Um, so slightly scary, but, um, you know, as, again, I've seen many people say on the, the various message boards and Twitter today, you know, this isn't the kind of game that we need to be really worried about. This, you know, getting anything out of this game would have been a bonus. Um, you know, the, I think the important games start next weekend at Swansea, in a way. Uh, I just hope, and I, I think, I don't think this will be the case. I just hope that, you know, it won't have impacted on the lads too much. 
last night what happened to them because I think a look of them, a few of them did look a little bit shell shocked at times. Um, hopefully, Dash will get the the confidence back up and send them out with uh, you know a, a, a hopefully a, a more or a less uh, dangerous team in, in Swansea uh, on Saturday. I think everyone will learn a lot, won't they, from from a coming up against the team like that. It's a bit of a reality check, but I think everything that we say tonight on the podcast has to be seen through uh, the sort of prism of Chelsea being probably the best team in the league this season. So we we don't want to come across too critical. But obviously, we have to criticise the defending when it's there to be criticised. Robbie, what were your thoughts on the match? Um, I thought we started really well and then after we scored and uh, it looked like Chelsea just a flick of a switch just seemed to come to life for about 15 minutes and we just couldn't handle them and they scored I think they only had three shots on target in the whole game Um, so in terms of competitive nature I thought we actually put a decent fight in just that 15 minutes where we, we couldn't get hold of the ball and we conceded three goals but that happens when you uh, play against teams like this in terms of our better performance, do the three of you think it was maybe a bit of a surprise to see who they were? I mean, um, I, you might have a difference of opinion, but I think certainly Arfield was probably our best player. Michael Duff, I thought, was excellent on the night. Those were the two that stood out for me, and perhaps two of the ones that you wouldn't have expected to adapt so quickly to the Premier League. And like we've already pointed out, Jason Shackle didn't have a very good night, and as the captain and someone who was so exceptional last season, winning our player of the season award. It was a bit strange to see him out of sorts. Um, James, were you a bit surprised by the nerves on show in the Burnley team? Um, I don't think I was surprised. You know, a lot of these guys are, are making quite a big step up. Some some have been there before, obviously. Um, but I don't think they were particularly the ones who showed, showed many nerves. But then you've got players like Harfield, who I think, if you look at where he was last summer, um, to be honest, probably just to still be playing at championship level or above is probably a bonus for him. So maybe he doesn't feel the nerves the same as someone who, you know, like Jason Shackle, who's nearly got to the Premier League level before, um, but, you know, never really had his chance. So he probably feels he's got a lot more to prove than Scott Arfield does. And maybe that's why, obviously, he's nervous. Because, again, Michael Duff, he's a guy who's, you know, possibly playing his last season of football. He's really got nothing at all to prove. Um, you know, anything that happens this season that's that good that's good is a bonus to his career. You know, he's he's coming to the end of it. Whereas someone like Jason Shackle probably still has quite a lot of ambition. Um and obviously he will be feeling the pressure to to show he can cut it at that highest level. That's a really good point actually. Maybe it was the pressure of of obviously coming up against a team with such creative players, it was a much different test to what we're used to in the championship and yeah, you might just be right about Shackle just feeling the pressure a little bit. I'm sure he'll be back to his best soon enough, though. Um, Ian, mentioned Michael Duff there. I thought, considering a lot of people have said he's the man in the first team we need to replace, I thought he dealt with Diego Costa. Remember, a £32 million striker. I thought he dealt with him extremely well. Yeah, I wouldn't disagree with that. I think he you know, he got a foot in. He was typical Duffy, wasn't he? You know, kind of... Getting headers in, getting a foot in where he needs to. Um, he didn't seem to get done on pace too often. Um, I suppose it wasn't necessarily the Chelsea ball to knock it long and turn the defence. So um, that kind of probably helped him out in some ways. But yeah, I mean, just put up an absolutely sterling performance. I think the guy for me that um, maybe we we didn't quickly talk about then in the the players that impressed 
I thought Djokovic actually had a good game while he was on. Um, I thought he held held the ball up, flicked it on. You know, one one of first share headers against uh, you know current and ex uh, England international centre halves. Uh, seemed to have a decent relationship with Ings, who was a little anonymous, unfortunately. But um, but I thought he um, he showed well. It's the first time I've seen him. I didn't get to any of the friendlies. So, um, it, I was uh, yeah excited by the performance he put in. We'll come on to Ings a little bit later because I do want to talk about him in a bit more detail. Then. Um, Robbie Jukovic was quite good, wasn't he? I suppose the difficulty is he's he's going to be compared with Sam Volks because that's his place he's taken and Volks and Ings had such a good partnership. It's it's not going to be immediate, is it? It's going to take a while for the attack to, to learn to gel together. Um, yeah, I thought, yeah, I agree with Ian. I thought you were fantastic last night. Um, yeah, I saw him in pre-season as well. He, he looked very strong. He got amazing strength. And um, I thought he looked a little bit more mobile than Sam Volks as well last night. Um, and hopefully, he looks like he's got a, um, a few goals in him as well. So, and with a partnership with Ings, he could see something developing. So, hopefully, it won't take too long for them to both get into the groove and start scoring goals together. Now, obviously, Burnley being in the Premier League opens up a lot of things, and one of the things is the the sheer amount of data and statistics that are available. Um, don't want to get too bogged down in the numbers because I know it's not for everyone. I know James is a fan of his stats, so he might like this bit. But there's a website called Who Scored, if you've not heard of it. It's full of data and stats, and their player ratings make quite interesting reading. Scott Arfield is the only one to rate quite well for us. He scored 7.6, which is maybe a little bit harsh. He was in the top five performers on the night. All Chelsea's around the seven mark, apart from Hazard, who was 8.3, Fabregas 8.7. They had him as the top performer. But what I thought was interesting as well, a couple of other things to pick out from their data. Tom Heaton of 5.3, I thought maybe a little bit harsh. I don't think he could do much about any of the goals. And also Kieran Trippier, a six. There's been a bit of talk about Trippier um, in the last couple since the game. Talk about Trippier maybe not doing well enough. Now, considering he was up against Eden Hazard, who's arguably the best left winger in the Premier League, I thought that was quite harsh. And also, James, the two goals came from Ben Mee's wing, and it was Ben Mee lost his man. So I think Mee's maybe escaped a little bit of criticism. I'm surprised to see Trippier getting stick. Well, I think Trippier's coming for a lot of stick. I'd, I'd, I'm sucking actually at this who scored a uh, bit now. And I find it interesting as well that, that Jason Shackle seems to outscore Michael Duff, so I'm not really sure how it's you know calculated um but for me uh you know jason shackle's past percentage going to this website is 74 percent but i think those ones that he did miss were probably you know in- incredibly important passes because there were a few opportunities where chelsea maybe um should have done better from a, a poor jason shackle pass whereas i can only really remember seeing that once from Kieran trippier um and in the case of ben me i think a lot of his mistakes were more to do with our, our shape in general um, I know Monday Night Football at half time, Gary Neville talked about how we'd been really narrow when Chelsea was sort of really pressing on our box that that was good but then when the ball came back out we didn't fan back out and that's what gave Ivanovic so much space on the right hand side um, to lead to their first goal so I don't know if it was necessarily just Ben Mee who was sort of in the wrong there or sort of the whole defensive unit working together but you can see that, you know, maybe left back obviously isn't Ben Mee's natural position. And maybe that is what showed on the 
on the night. I don't, don't particularly want to pick Ben Me out because I, I think everyone found it quite tough, really. I don't think anyone was brilliant for us apart from Scott Arfield, but maybe it was partly a, a lack of cover from Matt Taylor, maybe. I thought Taylor played quite well. I saw a stat that said he created four chances, I think, in the first half, which was more than anyone else on the pitch. Now, considering how dominant Chelsea were for the 20 minutes after we scored, that's quite a statistic, really, to show that Matt Taylor was up there. But, Ian, did he provide enough protection for Ben Mee? That's a key part of our game, isn't it? The wingers providing that extra level of protection. Yeah, I wasn't focusing too much on it, but, I mean, it looked to me like he was he was getting up and down, um, which is about as technical a term as I can use for it. Um, he, you know, seemed to be a, a, around the place. I think. One of your problems is, and I, I do appreciate your view about not picking Ben Me out because, you know, you've got people like Sherla running at you. You know, this guy's seriously quick and, and seriously good. This is it. This is Andre Sherla, not particularly uh, lauded as one of Chelsea's stars, but he did win the World Cup this summer, so yeah. it's not like, and he it's looked not like, like it a really as well. poor player coming up against Ben Mee. And he did bag a few as well at the World Cup. So He did. He did. Not he's, a, he's a top, top player. There's no doubt about it. I think yeah, the way Chelsea are set up at the moment, and you know, with Fabregas kind of bossing midfield and and playing little cute little uh, through balls through, like for the second goal, which was one of the best goals I've seen on the turf for many a year. Then you know, I I can understand why you know, particularly in a first game where we're still getting our our unit sorted out and getting everybody in place, that it, you know, Ben might have had a a, a torrid night. But I thought Matty Taylor looked alright actually. I I. I like. I think I said on the the last or the pre, a, a previous podcast that I liked him as a signing. I thought he was going to bring a lot of experience. He's seen it and done it um, in the Premiership, and I thought it, last night he looked like he was uh, he was very handy. And uh, I don't think he really needed to be singled out for any any criticism for that uh, that side of it. If if there is a problem with Matt Taylor's defensive side, and I'm not saying there is. I'm just saying others have suggested it. I think it would be a real shame if he lost his place on that basis, considering he is he's a creative player and I think the wingers should be in the team to create. I understand they have to do their fair share of running and their fair share of the defensive work as well, but if your winger's creating four chances in the first 45 minutes, it's probably not his fault that you threw you on down at half-time. So no, and I agree. When, and I think when Kiteley came on, you know, I think, you know, again, he does a lot of running around. He, he, you know, clearly tries to take men on and beat them, but it was pretty clear last night that he wasn't going to get any change out of Ivanovic um, to the extent where, you know, I think on one occasion he, he kind of ran, took the ball at Ivanovic. Ivanovic just stood still and walked off with it. You know, just a, a man mountain and uh, clearly had uh, Kitely in his pocket, you know, for the for the time that he was on. So, yeah, I mean, I, I like I say, I like the look of Taylor. I think he could be a really good uh, asset for us this season. Set piece as well, I think he's going to have a big impact. I mean, the goal sort of came from a set piece, didn't it? It was a corner that recycled and they were too slow to close Taylor down and that's when he picked Alfield out. But I do think we'll have some joy from set pieces. Hopefully a bit more joy defending set pieces because the Chelsea third goal that we've not really touched on was really quite poor defensively. Um, Robbie, if we can bring you back in on Ben Mee. The signing of Stephen Ward, which we haven't had a chance to talk about on the podcast yet, there was a lot of eyebrows raised, wasn't there? But I sent a tweet during the game, a little bit flippant, saying I sort of understand why we signed Stephen Ward now. Um, what did you make of Ben Mee's performance? He, he seemed to win a lot in the air, didn't he? But 
maybe exposed on the ground. Do you think that's maybe why we've brought Stephen Ward in to provide a bit of competition at left back? Um, yeah, maybe. Um, I, I, I did think about maybe Stephen Ward playing left midfield. Because I, I, I was speaking to a Wolves fan who's a friend of mine, and uh, he said he played uh, left midfield a couple of times, so maybe he could play there and offer a bit of protection. Unless, but I thought that was going to be Matty Taylor's um, preferred position this season. So, but um, I don't know Ben. Me, I thought he did okay last night as well. So, I don't know yet. There's a long way to go, isn't there? That's probably one of the positions that maybe is a little bit undecided yet. Plenty of candidates, I suppose, with also Danny Lafferty having signed a new contract uh, earlier in the summer. Maybe we'll see him go out on loan. Um, James, then we. Not a chance to talk about Ward yet because he signed since the last podcast. There's quite a lot of questions being asked about why we're going after him, but he's an experienced player, Premier League experience, international as well. He's versatile. It sort of makes sense, doesn't it? Yeah, I think this season is going to be all about versatile, versatile, experienced players who can, you know, maybe drop in in a few places. Maybe they're not a master of any, but you know, they're more than capable at, at several. Um, which I think when you've got a small squad working to sort of budget we are, if you're going to be paying people sort of Premier League money, you want to maybe get a few more positions out of them than just the one. And what do you make of Stephen Ward, Ian? When he first signed, I, I thought, what's the point of getting this guy in? But maybe after seeing me struggle a little bit, it makes a little bit more sense from my point of view. Yeah, I mean, you know, in a way, as much as providing cover for left back, I wonder if it's providing cover for centre back and and freeing me up to to step back into one of the centre back positions. Should anything happen to one of the two we've got at the moment, and we don't get a, an extra player in, so yeah, I, I don't know what it is. There seems to be a Wolves fetish thing going on at the moment in the in the Burnley boardroom. Uh, I seem to be buying lots of ex Wolves players over the last uh, year or so. But uh, yeah, I. I can't really say that I know that much about him, but you know, as I think we've said before on previous podcasts, you know, just adding depth to the squad is something that we desperately need. Um, so I think you know, just on that basis alone, it's it seems like a a value signing. I can't find the tweet actually, but Chris from the Burnley Express um, pointed out this this Wolves fetish, as you put it. I think there's five or six players at the club now from Wolves promotion season. It's a good few years ago now when, when Wolves, I think they won the championship as well. Players like Volks, Shackle, Jones, I think three of them. Uh, Chris, Chrissy Wellmore was, was in there as well. Obviously, he's not at the club anymore. But... They didn't really just win it, though. They actually romped it. Yeah, I mean, it's, it is useful, isn't it, to have players that have played together before. But maybe we could examine other teams and other players a little bit more rather than just going on the Wikipedia page for that that Wolves season and seeing who else is available. Um, to come back to Danny Ings then, we mentioned him a little bit earlier. Again, don't want to get too carried away with what is essentially just one game against probably the champions, but he did have quite, quite a quiet game, seems to be the consensus. However, you... You who scored? Sorry, who scored? Stats have him down as having four shots, which is only one less than Sherlock, which is the most. So he was obviously involved to an extent, but I think it's fair to say, isn't it, James? He wasn't quite his best. He's struggling for form a little bit at the moment. He didn't score in pre-season either. I think the best way probably to describe his his shots is uh, wasteful. 
And actually, I was really surprised when Djokovic came off before him because I thought, you know, Djokovic was looking the more threatening of the two, particularly as about a minute or so before he came off, he had that chance where the ball came over the top and he was given offside, which, interestingly, Sky didn't show again. But to me, I don't think he was offside. And I was half expecting Sky to show it again, but they didn't. Um, I just, I don't know. Ings seems a lot quieter than usual. He seems to normally close people down a lot more than he, he looked to last night. And um, he had one chance, uh, I think it was in the second half, where he, he pounced on a, a, probably a rare mistake from uh, the Chelsea back line and, and got in a reasonably strong position and just wasted his shot wide of the post. Uh, where I think last season you might have seen him maybe take a few more strides and really level one sort of top corner. Um, but I don't know if that's maybe just a little bit of nervousness. Yeah, I, for me, sorry, Jamie, I think he's looking a bit like the player that ended last season where he just seemed to have lost his mojo a bit and was getting frustrated and, you know, not hitting the ball cleanly and, um, you know, all those things that we saw from him in the in the kind of first two thirds of the season. He just seems to have have, have lost that uh, that knack to to hit the ball on target, with, you know, with almost every shot that he had. And I don't know really what's going on there. Whether it's confidence, whether it's something else that we're just not aware of. Who knows? But uh, he's not the same player he was at, just for the moment. I'm I'm glad you mentioned that because it does seem a little bit of a an overhang. Maybe not overhang is probably the wrong word, but it's falling on from last season, isn't it? I think he only scored one after coming back from injury, I think that's right. And after scoring the winner at Ewood, of course, he was quite quiet and he had that injury. So didn't end the season particularly well. Didn't have a good pre-season. Didn't play that well Monday night. I suppose we expect a lot from Danny Ings, don't we now, James? Because he was so incredible last season. But we also have to remember that this is just the lad who's only turned 22 over the summer. So... Maybe we're asking a lot for him to step up and immediately look Premier League class. Maybe. I think it part of it does come down to what Ian said. At the end of last season, he had tailed off a little bit. Uh, and I think it went it went back before his injury to the point where um, I think the only game he'd scored was the, the Blackman game. And that wasn't really a classic Danny Ings goal. That was kind of a you know scrappy, old-school centre-forwards goal rather than the, the type you normally see Danny Ings scoring. So I don't know if it is a confidence thing or whether he's just letting frustration get to him because you did see it a few times uh, last night where you know he'd maybe not get on the end of something or he'd you know made a bad pass and you could see him sort of slapping his thigh, sort of getting his head down a little bit. Um, I think he just needs to get back that, get past that and sort of bring his mojo back. I wonder if he just needs a goal and then after after he gets one, he'll just look like his old self. Robbie, what what's your take of, of the Danny Ings situation? It, it just doesn't. It's not quite working out for him at the minute, is it? Why do you think that is? I'm not too sure. Um, I would have thought his his confidence would have been quite high. Um, he's got an absolutely brilliant goal in the final final day at um, Reading, I think it was. Um, a little swivel and a first time shot into the bottom corner, a fine goal. So. I, I thought he might get his confidence back after that. Um, yeah, in, I agree with pre, in pre-season, especially against um, Verona. You were, I thought, first half you were really frustrating. He seemed to take the uh, the harder route by running at defenders and possibly taking the wrong option. So 
I don't know. Hopefully, yeah. Hopefully, a goal in the Premier League might seem back to his best. I do want to mention Chelsea as well because obviously Burnley are our focus, but I think a lot of us tipped Chelsea as the, the favourites, didn't we? But they were just honest from the start. What was noticeable for me, I think Ian just touched on it. Our pressing game didn't really seem to be working. I don't know if we were a little bit reluctant to try and close players down when we knew they had the ability to go past us, but Chelsea were actually pressing us like we were pressing teams last season and maybe that's also why Shackle was giving the ball away a bit too much because there were fewer options for him because everyone was being shut down so much. James, Fabregas in particular, I could probably talk on my own on the podcast about how brilliant Fabregas is for an hour but he was just outstanding wasn't he? Two assists and the, the pass for the second goal, absolutely glorious play. Yeah, I mean, when you look at, um, I think it was touched on earlier, you know, Fabregas having a lot of time and it probably being one of his easiest ever games. But I think Fabregas is one of those players where he has a lot of time because he makes himself a lot of time. Um, and you see for that, that Sherler goal, it, on the reverse angle, it doesn't even look like he's going to pass to Sherler. And then it looks like he just suddenly sees the opening and opens his boot up. And next thing you know, he's played probably one of the best passes you'll see at the turf all season. Um, and I think that's just the quality Chelsea have. When you think probably they didn't really get out of second gear, I, I don't think. And you know, I watched the bits of the City game the other day, and I think Chelsea look a class above City. And you always know with Mourinho that he knows how to win games. And you know they could have probably gone out and demolished us, you know, eight, nine, ten, one. Um, but. Mourinho said after the game that he, his players weren't really at 100% yet. And I don't think that's what he, you know, he's aiming to do right now. And you know with Chelsea, they are the type of side that can go out and can absolutely hammer someone. Yeah, I think, I think it was probably fitness, wasn't it, Mourinho was talking about that. I mean, Sherlock's not played a lot in pre-season because of his... Yeah, I think he's only trained for a week. Yeah, it's ridiculous, isn't it, the way he played as well. And, um, one more stat as well on the, on the Chelsea point of view. Eden Hazard had nine dribbles and the only other player to have more than one was Scarfield with two, so he was a bit of a ball hog, but Eden Hazard, Ian, there were a couple of occasions he came in on that left flank, I think one directly led to the first goal. The ball's like it's glued to his foot, like it's, it's a cliche, but he just seems to glide across across the turf and no one could get near him. Considering how poor he was at the World Cup for Belgium, I thought it was unbelievable on Monday. Oh, he looked an absolute class act, didn't he? And uh, yeah, I mean, there were a lot of people around me were, were screaming and shouting, get a foot in, get a foot in. Yeah, it's, it's easier said than done, isn't it? Absolutely. Like, you can't even foul him. You can't even foul him. No, absolutely. <laughs> I mean, you know, he's, he's a, a little chap and, a, you know, that low centre of gravity and everything, but he just seems to waltz past people without them even kind of moving to make a tackle. It's just an incredible thing to watch. There were, there were moments last night watching that Chelsea team where I just kind of sat back and applauded because I thought, yeah, these are world-class players and they're really putting on a performance. So uh, I don't feel too downbeat about uh, about the result last night at all. Yeah, and just looking at some of those stats as well, there's there's not a single Chelsea starter who had less than an 80% pass completion. So, um, And Hazard was the highest on the pitch at 93%. So he's he's not really put a foot wrong all night on that evidence. Yeah, I thought he was absolutely outstanding. Fabregas as well in particular, but... You look at that Chelsea team, there's, there's probably not really a weak link in it, so 
it's difficult to see how anyone's going to stop them as and as well like I think there's Felipe Lewis to come into that side as well, so they can move Azpilicueta across. Ivanovic maybe go into the middle of defence. They've got so much depth now, and Diego Costa looks like the real deal up front as well, so I think everyone was right to be tipping Chelsea for the title. I think they're going to take quite a lot of stopping um, this season. As we mentioned earlier, we spoke to Joe Tweeds from the Chelsea blog, Plains of Almeria, to get his views on Monday night's game. Here's what he had to say. Right, so I've got Joel here with me. Joel, tell us a little bit about your site to start with. So um, I write for a website called Plains of Almeria, which has got a bit of a strange name. Um, it's from a very, very old Raquel Welch quote about Peter Osgood a long, long time ago. So, uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's a bit of an infrequent blog, but it's, uh, yeah, it's been something I've been doing for about two, two, three years now. Pretty decent site, some, some fairly good writers on there. And, uh, yeah, if you want uh, some Chelsea fans who have got a few brain cells, that's probably the place to, to go. I'm glad you explained the name because I have no idea. What yeah, exactly. Yeah, a lot, a lot of people ask about the name, but yeah, it's a, it's a very, very old Raquel Welch quote. Uh, I was looking for something a bit obscure, and rather than Stamford Bridge or anything to do with Stamford or the bridge, so yeah, it was, uh, it was, it was quite good actually. So uh, obviously, a cracking start for the Blues last night. You sort of ran rampant over us a little bit after we took the lead. Your new lads were particularly impressive, weren't they? Seth Fabregas I thought was absolutely outstanding. Yeah, it's uh, it's a strange one, really, because I think a lot of fans, you're still taking time to adjust the fact that, you know, this is Arsenal's Fabregas and Barcelona, two of the teams that we probably dislike the most. It's taking a bit of time to adjust, but, I mean, if he plays like that regularly, I mean, you can easily see just, you know, just how good he is and, and probably probably misused quite a bit of Barcelona, that deeper midfield role that he was playing last night with Matic. He looked absolutely sublime. I haven't seen someone pass a ball like that at Chelsea for, for years. So, yeah, I mean, I, I thought he looked uh, particularly good first half. What was probably most impressive as well was the way you reacted to going one one nil down. Was was there any panic at all for you, or were you confident that you were going to turn it round after that goal? Mass amount of panic, to be perfectly honest. Um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, last season the you know we've, we've all due just well sorry we've all due respect. There are teams that we probably should be beating if we want to win the title, and the amount of points we dropped. I think they they showed a graphic on Sky that we picked three points up from eighteen uh, from teams that finished sort of in the you know bottom eight sides, teams that we should be beating. And uh, yeah, it had a bit of an eerie feeling of uh, history repeating itself. Um, one they like, but I think you know the, the getting the equaliser back so quickly um, kind of calmed calm the nerves a bit. And I think we really just stepped up through the gears then. But yeah, massive amounts of nerves because we're still still quite you know used to the fact that we weren't particularly great uh, against teams that we probably should be be looking to beat last season. The second goal you scored as well. Obviously, the pass at the end from Fabregas was sublime, but a long passing move to build up to it as well. Do you think Mourinho's playing a slightly more expansive style this season? I think there was a lot of talking in pre-season about Mourinho. You know, the words he used was that he wanted to take the handbrake off the team, which is probably quite a good way of uh, describing it. Last season, we relied so heavily on uh, Hazard, which you know is not exactly a bad player to rely on, but relied on him so much in games, it, it became almost very predictable about what we were going to do. Get it to Hazard, and hopefully he'd beat four people and stick it on the top corner. Um, I think this season the team's a lot more balanced. You've got a lot more attacking players. You know, having a striker like Costa, who just seems like an absolute menace to defend against. Fabregas picking passes, Hazard being on form. You know, Sherlock's come back from a really impressive World Cup. The team seems a lot more balanced. It seems you know perhaps a little bit more attacking impetus, and just just you know from our fullback play, you can see how far. Ivanovic and Aspilicueta were getting out the pitch last season they would have been 10-15 yards deeper so maybe it's a bit more of an aggressive play but I think perhaps he's got the players to do it this season One of the things our writers have pointed out since since the game was that although you seem to be carving us up and open, 
almost at will. Tom Heaton didn't really have that much to do. It was sort of strange that we kept you at arm's length on one hand, but then also really open at times. How did you make of the way Burnley coped with Chelsea in that first half in particular? I thought the first 15 minutes, I mean, was, was kind of what I expected. I mean, uh, you know, I... I watched quite a bit of Burnley last season because of the the sort of story from you know being predicted to get relegated to you know pretty much almost winning the league was was pretty fascinating. Um, you know, really really well organised team. Um, personally, I think that there needs to be a bit more quality in, in the kind of central midfield areas. Um, but you know, I think I think they're really well organised. I think they're saying you know we we played really well first half and uh, you know on another day we could have obliterated someone by you know five or six in the first half, but we didn't and. You know the amount of actual shots that we got on goal um, should be encouraging because you know I don't think you you know will will play someone as fluid as that you know all, perhaps all season um, you know I think uh, Ings is is quite a useful little player um, you know he he works particularly hard has some nice touches as well and the chap who scored the goal who almost actually scored again in the second half I don't, I don't know the chap's name but he he also looked pretty good um, but yeah I mean for, you know throughout the entire team you can tell that they're they're very well organised very well trained very well coached. Um, perhaps you know, obviously the the budget comparisons were were rife after the game, but you know a little a little bit of investment. Um, I heard that you were actually sniffing around one of our youth team players who plays in midfield, uh, Nathaniel Chalaba, um, would would be quite useful. I think you just lack a little bit there, but the rest of the teams and particularly your fullbacks were were very tasty. I thought. I was going to ask about um, Shalbar actually. We have been linked with him. Have you seen much of him so far? He's had some warm spells in the championship. Yeah, he? he's he's been he's been hit and miss. I mean, he went to Forest and uh, by by all accounts fell out with uh, the the manager very very quickly. He you know he was brought in under the the kind of guys that they were going to be trying to play a bit of football there, and he was going to be playing in midfield. And I think he played a couple of games, and it was sort of going front to back quickly. And, and he made a point of saying that to the manager, and obviously that didn't go down too well. In the right team and under the right manager, I mean, I, I really think he could be one of the players who would actually break through at Chelsea. He's, uh, you know, he can play centre back, but in midfield, he, he's got a lot of quality. Maybe he, he tries to be a bit too Hollywood at times in possession, but you know, he's got a great engine. He's really, really good one-on-one tackler. Um, he gets up and down the pitch, can score a goal. Um, definitely one of our better academy products, and, and probably ready for a Premier League move. And I think it would probably do him a lot of good playing, you know, very competitive games every week in a team where he's expected to. Um, really sort of work as well as show his quality so you know I, I, from, from what I saw last night I think he'd be a really really good addition in that sort of holding role I agree he played at the surf for Middlesbrough actually I think it was March and started in central midfield and ended up at centre back and was excellent in both positions so I'm hopeful we can do something there and just finally Joel thanks for joining us um, Chelsea have been pretty much everyone's title favourites do you agree that that's, that's fair are you backing Chelsea for the title um, I mean, it's difficult. I mean, you know, I, I think it's so early to say, but I think you look at us and City perhaps as kind of the main rivals. I mean, I still don't see why people are writing off City. I mean, they've got so much strength in depth, particularly, uh, you know, I mean, they've got probably four strikers who could easily get 20 goals in the league, you know, in, in another team if they were the main man. You know, the, the midfield now with Fernandinho and Fernando um, and, and obviously Torre as well is just, just stock full of power and, and pace and energy. So, I mean, it's really going to come down to, I think, um, you know, if we can pick up 
the results that we that we were you know losing last season or dropping points. I think Mourinho has pretty much got all of the other top managers sussed out when it comes to those sort of head to heads. You know, I don't think that we'll lose. I think we we'll look to take four points off of the guys around us. If we can nick a win at their ground, that'd be fantastic. But it, for us, it's it's really going to be about what impact Fabregas has against teams who play defensive and and obviously Costa as well. What they both can do if they both you know continue playing as well as they are at the moment. Um, and we don't go through phases where we keep dropping points against teams who we probably should be beating. Um, I'm quietly confident that we can definitely, uh, you know, definitely be there or thereabouts when it comes to uh, the title in, uh, in May. Brilliant. Well, hopefully we won't play a team as, as good as you were last night because I, I don't think we'd have much chance of that. That was Joe from Plainsville. Mary, thanks a lot for joining us. Thank you, guys. Cheers. Probably can't draw too many conclusions from... Uh, Monday night's game obviously Chelsea we all expect to be right there at the top of the league we're probably going to have a relegation battle but James do you think it, it maybe sent a message that we do need some reinforcements I was a little bit surprised to see Cameron Dummigan on the bench um, Stephen Ward apparently didn't sign on time and Stephen Reed's not fit but to have a teenager on the bench when we have signed seven players this summer I thought that was a little bit alarming do you think there'll be a bit more impetus to get deals done in the next few days I think we're going to look to to complete more deals, but for me, actually, what last you know what last night really showed was that I think we can compete. If you look at the teams we're going to be playing against, and you know the teams that really our results matter against, they're all going to get beat probably three one by Chelsea. Um, you know, I think that's just the reality of the situation that those top sort of three teams are just in a league of their own, and and Chelsea and City could on the day tear any team apart and that includes sort of Liverpool United as well um, so I think we really are playing in a you know different league to what we saw last night um, and I think the way we played showed that you know if you are playing sort of your West Ham's uh, you know Villa that we'll get results um, obviously we need more bodies just for just for coverage if you get suspensions injuries um, but I don't think it was particularly the quality of football on on sure that that suggests that. Ian, what about you? Surely there's probably two or three additions for the first team needed if we're going to compete, or do you think the first 11 is strong enough as it is? Um, I'm slightly less optimistic than James, I think, in that respect. <laughs> I, I think, uh, no, I'm a bit of a miserable side anyway, I suppose, but um, it's... I don't know. I think we need to strengthen the first team. I think, you know, we, we've talked about strengthening the squad and getting more depth and that that makes sense we needed to do that but i really think we need to bring two or three more players in you know in the positions we all know we we i think we all understand where we need to to reinforce if we are going to have a good chance of you know competing with well let's look at swansea on saturday you know they're they're a good mid-table side if we're going to compete down there <laughs> i'd feel a lot more comfortable we had even just a couple of reinforcements that were good enough to improve the first team I think really, um, Kev's article the other week sort of showed you all you need to see that how close we came with the 2009 squad, which was five points. But in reality, it was only actually one win because it just either of the Wigan games. Two games against Wigan, yeah. Um, and you, know, you look at those, we probably shouldn't have lost to Wigan away. We definitely shouldn't have lost to Wigan at home um, when Brian Jensen had his little injury faint incident. Um, but if you look at that and how close we were then, and I think this side is probably three times the side that is. And I saw Tony Cascarino was on Sky Sports News this morning. And in the past, I've always thought he's a 
grade A weapon. And, uh, <laughs> and at one point, I was almost considering changing newspapers just so I didn't have to have my eyes insulted with his, his column. But um, he thought we were going to be uh, in with a very good chance of survival. So if he thinks that, I think it, it might, might be reality. That, that'd be a shame, though, because I'm really enjoying James' tweets of the Times on Twitter, so yeah, hopefully, hopefully he'll stick with the Times. Uh, Robbie, on, on transfers, I think we, we've digressed a little bit, but uh, one of the more recent ones was James McCarthy. His name's come up, hasn't it? Apparently we offered £4 million according to some reports for him, uh, but Wigan don't want to sell. Why is it so difficult for us to get these bigger deals done? We've seen... Craig Bryson signed a new contract when we tried to buy him. Henry Lansbury looks like he's going to do the same at Forest. Troy Deeney was obviously out of our price range, but why why is it so hard for us to get players in that are, are going to go into the first team instead of just being on the bench? I don't know. I don't know. I'm getting a bit <laughs> honest. Um, I, I, I don't really know how to explain it. It's just so frustrating to see deals just fall through all the time and I don't think we'll get McCarthy to be honest Wigan seem reluctant to sell uh, they don't really need to sell either so I don't know who we're going to bring in to improve the first team It is tricky isn't it because financially we're on a different level to all Premier League clubs we've got I think I mentioned this on last week's podcast but Forrest spent £5.5 on Britta Sambolonga from Peterborough United. I'm only bringing this up because I really like saying Brit or Sambalonga, by the way, but they paid £5.5 million for a League One striker. That's more than we've spent on players all summer, so it just shows what, what league we're in financially compared to some of the big city clubs and those that have got uh, multi-millionaire owners as well. So it is tough, but we spent less as well than we did five years ago. And just one point on what you said as well, James. Our squad is better than it was five years ago, but other teams make progress as well, so that doesn't necessarily mean we're going to have a better chance of survival, although I agree, it, it was tighter than people remember, wasn't it, considering we had Brian Laws for the second half of that season. I do just want to come on to Swansea, uh, coming towards the end of the podcast this week. Swansea next up, of course, long trip to Wales for Burnley. Swansea got off to a winning start in the Premier League against the odds, winning at Old Trafford uh, a 2-1 win. They look very good, actually. I wasn't expecting a lot from them this season under Gary Monk, but they look pretty sharp to me. James, this this is going to be one of those games where we have to try and get something, isn't it? You pointed out on the site already that away form was one of the big problems last time in the Premier League. We have to be targeting getting results at these grounds, don't we? Yeah, definitely. I mean, Swansea is one of those ones where um, you know it's probably not make or break if you, you can't win there, um, but it's make or break if you can't be competitive there, which I know is a, a big buzzword for, for Dash but I think that is a lot of it home form is going to be really key this season I know I've picked up on away form previously but that's more sort of you need the odd away result just to keep your confidence up because I think the, the last time round the problem was if you look at the first half of the season the only really good away result was the, the point at City um, other than that we were just pretty much taking a tanning every week um, and there's only so long you can go on you know, define the odds at home when every time you go to someone else's ground, you sort of get it handed to you a bit. It builds the pressure, doesn't it? I mean, we've talked a lot about the last time in the Premier League, but we did start very well. But 
results were tailing off a little bit before Owen Coyle went. Maybe that was just a symptom of the players getting disheartened with losing heavily every other week on the road. And we were still drawing at home, but the pressure becomes so much more when you know you have to win at home every week because you're not getting anything on the road. But our away form was really strong last time, last season, wasn't it? So I think there is more hope there. Yeah, I mean, you know, probably the result you really... So obviously you want to win on Saturday, but I'd say the result you're probably thinking we'll take that away is a draw. You know, so it's it's a tough place to go win. Um, you know, especially off the back of them beating United. And if you look at sort of where they finished last season, you can't see Palace and Southampton finishing above them again. So they've probably moved up sort of a couple of spaces in the pecking order. Um, you know, putting them more sort of towards the top half rather than you know the top of the bottom half um, but it is one of those games where you've got to go and you've, if you see um, us play really well on Saturday you'll probably feel pretty confident about the rest of the season Another big defensive test as well for us Ian Swansea look quite bright at Old Trafford but in, in Wilfred Bonney they've got one of the, the best tracks in the Premier League I would say Gilfie Sigurdsson scored the winner at Manchester United last weekend I think he's excellent as well and Key Sung Young Really good ball player in the centre of the park. He was on score sheet as well. Uh, Swansea, maybe though, are they the sort of model that we can aspire to be in a few years? They built up quite slowly, didn't they, without spending an awful lot of money. But they've managed to establish themselves as a Premier League club. They have, yeah. They've they've got a, a really good setup down there. You know, a great little stadium, um, and you know, seem to have a good deep squad. Not that many absolute stars. Uh, obviously, picked out a few players there that I think anyone would like to have in their squad. But, um, but you know, overall, a really good, solid outfit. Definitely. I mean, you know, that is the kind of thing we should be aspiring to, no doubt about it. I mean, I think I, you know, watching the United Swans game, I tweeted that, you know, we had our two of our next three opponents there. And the one I was most worried about was Swansea because I thought they looked good. They were aggressive in midfield. They, you know, passed the ball well. They looked sharp up front. Um, so I think it's going to be a tough challenge for us. I'm looking forward to going down there. It's uh, it's a fun stadium to go to, a good atmosphere, um, and that kind of atmosphere that you know I'd like us to try and, and generate uh, a bit more regularly on the turf. But uh, so it will be a tough test. But uh, I just hope you know lads can get their heads up after a bit of a running around that they got and uh, put in a really strong performance down there. That's going to be key, isn't it? Last season we saw when we had a little bit of a setback, we seemed to respond really strongly. So. I think that's going to be vital, whether we can pick ourselves up from these setbacks. Because let's face it, when you play Chelsea on the opening weekend of the season, you don't really expect to get much. So we have to put that behind us straight away. Swansea's winnable. We can get a result there. It's really important that we get some momentum back and get get a point, I think. Robbie, then, to come on to you, we'll start with some predictions. Swansea, quite a strong side. They'll be confident after winning at Old Trafford last week, but... We were good away from home last season. Is this going to be our first point of the season, you think? I, I think we will get a point on Saturday, yeah. Um, I think... I, I don't know why. I just think um, Swansea will be poor at home this season. I, I Don't ask me why. I just think they will be. Um, so I'm going to go for a 1-1 draw. Well, I tip 1-1 for the Chelsea game. That didn't work out, so I'm not going to tip 1-1 again for a while. James, what about you? What's your prediction for Swansea? Um, I think it'll be a couple of goals, two two. And what about you, Ian? Yeah, I'm going with one one. I think you know our organisation—they're not—they they haven't got the brilliance that Chelsea had across the pitch, 
Um, so I think our organization might just hold firm there. And uh, I can see us notching. So, yeah, let's go with 1-1. One, one. I'm going to call it a draw as well, but I'm not going to give a score, I'm afraid. Um, so that's about all we've got time for tonight. Thanks as ever to our sponsor, Neville G. We couldn't do the site without um, them. If you've got any feedback on the podcast, we are still quite new to this pre-record um this pre-recording rather than doing it live so please do let us know our email address is podcast at net. and one final shout as well for NNN Call which is brand new this season what we want you to do is ring us on your way back from the games just with some immediate reaction to what you've seen how we performed who played well what went a bit wrong all that kind of thing just like a radio phone in there's a really good message from me that's well worth laughing at so give us a ring the number is 01282 570 one five zero, but that's about all we've got time for this week. Hopefully, you've enjoyed the show. Uh, my guests have been James Bird, Robbie Kobach, and Ian Creamer, and we'll be back next week. Thanks for listening. Bye. Away days are great, but there's nothing quite like playing at home. The same goes for McDonald's. Maximize your home ground advantage with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee, and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. And there it is. That's as good as it gets on this stage. Nissan Townstar EV strikes again. It's an unstoppable van. Unstoppable! Look, just fantastic. You can actually see the ProPilot technology in action. Effortless parallel parking. It moves with all the confidence that comes with a five-year warranty. And with a bench full of all-star van experts, there's real strength in depth here. That's all-star quality. Search Nissan Townstar EV and visit your local all-star van centre to see for yourself. Terms and conditions apply. Five years or 100,000 miles, whichever comes first. ProPilot is an advanced driver assist technology. Driver's responsibility to stay alert, drive safely and control vehicle at all times. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.